I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. And this is Woman's. A podcast about romance novels. About bears. About flat. It's not really about flannel. About Los Angeles. About bad jobs. <laughs> about bad exes. About finding yourself. About friends and your boyfriend. About your mom. About your cat. About being a reluctant adult and all of the accoutrements. About really loving something and letting it go and seeing if it comes back. About hibernation. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And Aristeels. This week, we are tackling our second romantic graphic novel. Now, I kind of want to do a manga, but this is not a manga. This is My Boyfriend is a Bear by Pamela Ribbon and Kat Ferris. Give us that summary! Mm. A story <laughs> of girl meets bear. Hilarious. Nora has bad luck with men. When she meets an actual bear on a hike in the Los Angeles Hills, he turns out to be the best romantic partner she's ever had. He's considerate, he's sweet, he takes care of her, but he's a bear. And winning over her friends and family is difficult. Not to mention, he has to hibernate all winter. Can true love conquer all? Question mark. I want you all to know, dear listeners, that Lila DeLuca and Jojo Moyes and Rainbow Rowell have all blurbed this book. Okay, so this is our second bear bear romance. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think I will be able to talk about this without talking about it in the context of Bear by Marion Ingle one of the best books I have ever read. We actually recently had a listener listen to our episode of Bear based on seeing the cover. And she said, I'm so glad you guys read it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Bone in penis is a lot. It's a lot. In fact, some of the bear romances don't want to bring it up. They sure don't. Or the giant sandpapery tongue. A mole tongue? Is that what it was? Mole. Mole. A mole tongue. <laughs> I, was like, I remember it being spicy. Mole. No, no, it had nothing to do with mole, the delicious sauce. So good. I love mole. <laughs> mole. <laughs> That's right, mole. I was listening to Over My Dead Body about Joe Exotic and this woman who was at his wedding... She tells a story about how he showed her his bears and he told her to put a marshmallow in her mouth. And she did. And she said, the next thing I remember is my mouth just being filled with sand. And I was like, it's true. <laughs> Mary and Ingle knew said. what a bear tongue was like. True story. But our producer, Nick, he works so hard. He does all of our writing. He writes our episode descriptions. He writes our titles. So today I'd like to help him out with some suggestions for a title for this episode. Bearhead Revisited. That's really good. That's <laughs> just outstanding. And it's so timely because the Downton Abbey movie just came out and Matthew Good was in Brideheads Revisited, the remake. <sighs> Bear with me again. <laughs> Also, quality. Bear skin rug burn. Mm, quality. <laughs> That's it. I was trying to come up with something like, I can hardly bear it. I think we talked about this in the Marion Engels book, but fuck, Mary kill famous bears. Right. When we proposed it, I think we did Baloo. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh and Fozzie Bear. Yeah. Let me revisit and see where we landed on that. For sure. This is a great excuse. If you don't follow us on Instagram, I work really hard at it. Please follow us. It's amazing. I love to talk to people on there. You guys are hilarious. True story. You're my favorite people to talk to besides all of my loved ones. <laughs> Mostly you guys, though. 
You get it. Okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. A romance author commented, and it was like a bot. And she said, love the pick. Keep up the great work. I know it's hard, but it's worth it. And I said, okay, but which one would you fuck? Which one would you marry? And which one would you kill? Okay, we've got fuck Baloo, marry Winnie, and kill Fozzie. That's so Kill Fozzie, fuck Baloo, and marry Winnie. No. Is that overall? No. No. That's so wrong, you guys. Like, marry Baloo. Yeah, maybe. But Fozzie's always quick with a joke. Fozzie would keep you in stitches all the time. Walk <laughs> Waka 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 friends. Waka waka waka. So that's where we landed. Okay, here's a question. So I always ask whenever we talk about romance, why Texas? Here's a question. Why bears? I have a theory. They're not like a cat and they're not like a dog, but they are on the spectrum of both cats and dogs. Yeah, but they're neither at the same time. Right. I think they ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. Liminal space. Bears are they're a the liminal. liminal creature. They're a liminal predator right because they hibernate they're cuddly but they're terrifying so we don't know that they're cuddly right people don't like cuddle bears yeah but like here's the thing wolves and panthers cuddle teddy bears we do cuddle teddy bears and we don't really cuddle wolves or panthers we we, see people kind of like playing around in in real life with like real lions or real wolves you know and that guy who did um legends of the fall that bear definitely had an owner who had a deep relationship with him oh man yeah famous people who have cuddled bears leonardo dicaprio brad pitt that's it those are the only (laughs) (laughs) i was waiting for you to jump in with a couple more but like (laughs) the end of the list (laughs) when did leonardo dicaprio cuddle a bear oh the revenant he didn't cuddle that bear are you kidding me that was your reference that's what you were talking about? The fucking Revenant? Are you out of your mind? He walked no! away. <laughs> he walked away. So remember when that movie first came out and people were like, uh, did he get raped by a bear? <laughs> Do you remember that? People genuinely thought a point of that was that the bear was raping him. Oh yeah, Jonah Hill made a joke about it at the Oscars. Because the bear like drags him backwards. That's how problematized our sexuality is. Indeed. That we see someone getting pulled backwards and we're like, something sexual is happening. Right, we don't immediately think demonic possession yeah we don't immediately think like a bear (laughs) trying to kill a person we're like oh man something sexual is going down here between this bear and this human true story why bears here i would like to explain to you something that's happened to me post marion ingles pre my boyfriend is a bear i went backpacking in bear country (laughs) i did and we had to watch a safety video i was scared to fall in love Is that what the, did the safety video cover? So the thing about the safety video when you go to someplace like Glacier, Montana, is they give you this whole thing about bears. And it's like you make a lot of noise. You sing a lot of songs to alert the bear to your presence because you don't want to surprise the bear. Holy shit. You're just the funnest version of yourself. You're the funnest version of yourself. I want you to know, Morgan and listeners, that I didn't know that I knew all of the words to All Star. You didn't know that you knew that? But I did. And I sang my heart out in this bad that was covered in huckleberries because I didn't want my friend and I to die. And I was like, oh man, those lyrics came back instantaneously when I needed them. You saw the huckleberries and you were like, bears. Bears. I mean, we were obviously paranoid, but you kind of get a sense of like bear territory yeah, and where like a bear would be and like what time of day. So on our first night at camp, a bear wandered into camp and it was a mother bear and her cub. <gasps> it was a black bear, not a grizz. The 
scariest bear combo. Right? There is no scarier bear combo. Mother bears is like, no way, man. No way. Sarah Palin's scary and she's one thing, but she's not an actual bear. Yeah, she's not a literal bear. Literal bear in camp, not 20 feet from us. Did you see it? Yes. I could see all of its hairs, like its tall hairs and its small hairs. And the cub was right there. And we started. And I was so turned on. And we started yelling at it and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, then, no shit. What bad advice. And then people were like, throw a rock at it. And it's like, I'm not throwing a rock at that bear. Thank what did you do? Well, thank God there was a native Montana in there. And he like really got up in the bear's face. It was like, hey bear, hey bear. And just like started just like charging at the bear. And we all had our bear spray out and it was at twilight it was so intense and then my friend and I who were sleeping in a tent like that was basically the thickness of a nylon pantyhose we know a pantyhose pantyhose I thought you said pantyhose I mean, like, it's just one. It wasn't- Listen, we all know what tents are like. Okay, but it was like an extremely thin tent because it was a backpacking tent. I've slept in thicker tents is okay. what I'm saying. Okay, okay. It was like two pound tent. But listen, I don't think there's a difference to the bear in thinness. There's not! <laughs> I think the bear is like... I felt less safe in that tent than in the other bear- tents I've been in. I think the bear's just like, rip. Oh, yeah. So like, we barely sleep through that night. Barely! And, like, <laughs> and then the next day, my friend and I like hike up to this beautiful lake and we have this like tog and it's great and then this like motherfucking ranger rides by on her fucking mule with a mule train and we tell her hey did you hear about the bear in the camp like are you gonna shut the campsite down should we like leave and she's like that bear is really habituated and she's just gonna keep coming in with her cub there's not a lot you can do except you know harass her and um she likes to lick tents she's like a big dog and I was like she licks tents she's not a big dog okay like I could fend off a big dog if I had to listen but like Listen, a bear, a bear and licking. Up. What kind of bear pervert brings its child to lick to tents. a campsite to lick tents? Yeah. So between the bear and this book, that was my actual bear experience. So here's my thing. We've domesticated dogs, a.k.a. wolves. Right. We've domesticated cats, a.k.a. We just call them big cats yep. as a group. Panthers. Yeah. Lions. Yep. Tigers. Those things. We've domesticated versions of that, but mm-hmm. we haven't domesticated a version of the bear. True story. And so maybe part of it is the fantasy of domesticating. I mean, it certainly was in bear, but maybe part of it is the fantasy of the undomesticated that kind of not to rehash everything from bear by Marion Engel but the idea of something that you like can't domesticate and you're reckoning with it which is really as women in heterosexual relationships very similar to we're always in danger in a way even Mm -hmm. though we don't feel like it Mm -hmm. another way my boyfriend as a bear reminded me of bear by Marion Engel is that our protagonist our heroine makes a conscientious decision to open herself up to new experiences Mm -hmm. when the bear brings her back her magazines. I will say that this graphic novel felt a little more allegorical than Marion Engel's Bear. While still being more insistent on its literalism. Yeah, which was whole weird. Where do you want to start? Where should we go? What are we going to do? Well, let's talk about our protagonist and how she finds herself. Nora. Nora. Heroine. Let's talk about our heroine, Nora. Okay. Nora. Nora. She is in a dead-end job in Los Angeles. She works at a call center for a internet scam that is just taking advantage of people. And so her whole thing is that she can give them their money back if they ask for it specifically, but if they don't, she can't. So So she spends a lot of her day trying to convince people to ask her for their money back. back, 
but that's difficult whenever what's really happening is like a moral and ethical conundrum to the people who are faced with the issue. For sure. So she is in a bad relationship with one of her coworkers who wears band tees that made me feel attacked. Let's talk about them. Arcade fire. Decemberists. <laughs> That one really hurt, frankly. He has a soul patch that's overgrown. Uh, he is the most recent in a string of bad boyfriends. Yeah. Well, we we're given one bad feature of each of them. Yeah. Some are worse than others. Indeed. But it does speak to this idea of modern dating. Well, we didn't really touch on it, but in the right swipe, something about Tinder is that there's this idea of there could always be someone better. You see the bounty of humanity looking out for love and you're like, wow, if this person has this one weird thing wrong with them, perhaps I could find something better as opposed to like, this person has this one weird thing wrong with them. I'll either deal with it, learn to find it charming or ignore it, you Mm -hmm. know, in spite of all these other things. Right. So she and the bad boyfriend with the t-shirts go on this camping trip and she brings her magazines like Glamour, Cosmo, whatever. Kind bust. Of. She brings Glamour and Bust. Yeah, she brought fucking Bust and he busts. Glamour's pretty good. Yeah, so is Bust, frankly. I mean, Bust has its own problems. Bust but is really good. It doesn't pay its writers enough. Anyway, it's a really good magazine and it continues to produce content that's great even if it yep. doesn't pay its writers enough. And it has a little sample of erotica in the back and Glamour does that now too. And then like he, Cosmo doesn't. But Bust does like good stuff anyway and he like fucking busts her chops over it and like it makes her feel bad in such a way that she's like I'll never read them again and she like goes off to like bury her magazine point of contention sure a man who owns a Decemberist t-shirt would never be upset with a woman reading bust because they know enough about being a good white liberal boy although you never want to be one of the girls in a Decemberist song because you're going to end up murdered or worse it's true I'm just saying no it's true who listen to Decemberists will also be cool with your bus subscription. Yeah, they can at the very least fake allyship. Bust. What do we need to do to get you to pay your writers more? Do we need to buy the magazine more? Is it subscriptions? Let us know. We'll figure it out. Subscriptions aren't a good way for a magazine to make money anymore. Bon Appetit learned that. That's why they have all that sick YouTube content. Bust, let us know because we want to support you. We like your content. We want you to pay your writers. Bust, will you hire us? (laughs) We'll be your writers. We'll be underpaid writers. Bust. Hello. Hello. Bring, bring. Bust, it's romance. (laughs) You think we'd be great partners? We don't even have to talk about romance novels. We can talk about other stuff. I'm scared to eat flowers. Want to go into it? Why do we call them tube socks and not boob socks? <laughs> Bus, we're asking the hard hitting question. Bus, I'm willing to self interrogate. <laughs> Oh, my God. They had that great interview with Tracy Jordan. So true. Okay. Anyways. So she buries her magazines in this very typical of her moment. Nora is constantly making herself smaller in the first 20 pages. Yeah. And like we see her in all of the ways that she has been made small. The scene of her angrily storming through the woods is great. It's so the graphic novel does a lot of Magna stuff, like having the little tiny version of a character. But it looks like this video game called Don't Die that is on PS4, her little maze as she rages through the woods and then does the typical thing where she decides she's going to bury her magazines to punish her boyfriend in an act that will absolutely not punish her boyfriend. His dad's a published poet. Big fucking deal. Your dad can rhyme and think a lot about how we're all going to die as a snippet from her rage. So she buries her magazines, continues her camping trip, breaks up with her boyfriend, comes home, gets drunk with her two best gal pals, Deborah and Carly. And when she comes home, there is a bear by her dumpster and he brings her 
back her magazines. They had a moment of eye contact in the woods. And she ran away because she was scared because he's because a, a literal bear. bear. But there's this close-up of his like hurt paws. Like he really went through it to bring her back her magazines. And then it says in the text box, he found me. And isn't that what we all want? Someone yeah. who would go through a lot for our petty shit. It's like, I see you, right? So then like that's the first romance beat. Yeah. Here is our hero. He sees our heroine for who she is. He is immediately anthropomorphized. The first time we see him he's standing upright on two legs casual he is incredibly he has quite a bit of bear swagger he's got a bit he's a black bear he's not a grizzly that's important they're drunk they eat out of her fridge together she vomits he's not grossed out by her in fact she passes out on her kitchen floor and he spoons her to keep her warm and she decides in that moment like i'm gonna be open to this experience and thus starts dating a bear the bear discovers human things blueberry spinach craft beer flannel flannel here's the thing does this mango exist if fashion in the last 10 years hadn't taken the turn towards the lumberjack for men. Because think about it, Bear by Marion Engel coming at the tail end of the 70s, another lumberjack movement. Is the bear sexualizing the bear? Because they do have sex, even though it's not visually depicted, it's only alluded to in the And she's like, I'm novel. sensitive about it, so don't ask me. Yeah. Our character in Bear was also sensitive about it. She couldn't get the bear to fuck her, remember? I do remember that. She could get him hard and she couldn't get him to fuck her. And then he like just scratched Anyways, listen to the episode. I'm it's sorry I keep good. talking about it. It's a whole different beast. <laughs> but do you think like the sexuality of the bear can exist without the sexuality of the lumberjack? Yes. Why? I think bear fetishization and like domesticating bear is divorced from fashion, but also like can take on that move pretty quickly. But I'm thinking specifically of like in Game of Thrones, like the Bear Island mm-hmm. folks and the way in which their strength and the fact that their sigil is part of their strength yeah. is part of it. And I think like there have been lots of iterations of how bear, especially on hind legs, is real close to human and like that kind of fetishization of both strength, but also like awkwardness. Yeah. And I'm saying that's it. The bear isn't about fashion and that's why neither is a lumberjack and that's why it became sexy and fashionable to like take on the costuming or the posture of something that doesn't care about fashion, right? You're letting your facial hair grow in because you don't have to shave for a regular nine to five and you don't care. You're wearing flannel because it's comfortable and you don't care. The people of the Bear Islands in the Game of Thrones, a Song of Ice and Fire series, if you will, are (laughs) I think it's the same thing. I think it's that lumberjack thing like something that is divorced from modernity mm-hmm. and is divorced from the ideals of conscientious sex and sexuality sure. like like something more naturalistic and I think like a craving for that mm-hmm. manifests itself as a craving for bear dick I agree I just don't think like the aesthetic of the lumberjack like the bear can take it up or put it down but Isabel I know he's wearing a flannel in this, this on is, the cover on the cover and like clench cover Clinch cover, no less. And like, I get what you're saying, but I'm not sure that the bear and the lumberjack, I think they're linked in the way that you described, right? Okay. Where it's like this divorcedness from modernity and like this like sort of awkward desexualization that is sexy. But I don't think like that's altogether that different from like whalers. No, it's not. Yeah. And it's so not. like, but then like, you know that you, look. But like the look isn't flannel. The look is like a toque a rugged coat it's like a beard it's rugged yeah. it's rugged but like yeah like I think it encompasses a couple of aesthetics and like Lumberjack is on that spectrum, spectrum but like isn't necessarily the linchpin I think I would say maybe this is a signpost for reaching 
peak exhaustion with modernity Mm. because a lot of people argue that in this moment we are reliving the 70s the 70s is when bear came out i believe it is 77 79 but like this peak exhaustion with modernity as it cycles through i think we eventually reach this point at which as women we're like do i just want to fuck a bear (laughs) (laughs) which obviously is burt reynolds on a bear rug but like the thing is is like the bear doesn't have political beliefs because the bear is utterly devoid of politic the bear is just a bear like the thing is is like we start to like become exhausted with our work a day lifestyles and we're like god that guy who works in the fish market or like oh look at that hat and that axe or like oh he's just like out in the woods and it's not because he's like strong or capable it's because he's separate from all of our problems right and so we start to like get real damp over it and then we're like he has weird opinions about universal basic income or like people of color yeah like this actual person is a failing how can I have the ruggedness the mountains the trees the sea air how can I have this like naturalism and strength and vulnerability without all of the politic boom have sex with a bear but also a bear who like sees you yeah like a bear who just wants to be with you yeah and like that's the fantasy it's like this big strong thing so we also don't have to worry about the violence of the bear because that's inherent and can't be divorced which is the problem at the end of bear by marion ingle yeah the violence of the creature coming up against everything else yeah Yeah. she is able to imagine him as something other than violent and then he He, is right because he's a bear i think that's the thing it's like the threat of the violence can be investigated but also then denuded right because he's cuddly and he's soft and he's like all of the things that you would want to be spooned by it certainly is in my boyfriend is a bear my bear is a boyfriend my boyfriend is a bear the real problem that they face the central problem of this graphic novel is that he has to go hibernate Mm -hmm. and she's going to be left alone for a time that's his natural instinct that gets in the way of their relationship bear is also very handy like he builds shelves for her cat oh he like like, bonds with her cat oh my god her cat dies so sad the bear takes the cat away here's a thought so in the book we're led to assume that he buries the cat amongst a lot of trees because the cat likes to climb what if bear just ate the cat the book isn't invested in that question because they're all lying together either on the floor or on the bed and like we all know that this is like cat's last night and like bear and cat are gone when she wakes up Mm -hmm. so the the text is like he saved me the last thing of like seeing, seeing my dead cat seeing the cat dead yeah. yeah so like whether or not bear eats the flesh of her cat doesn't matter because like the thing that he did was like i see oh that's really yeah and like i'll save you from that but also the book isn't invested in that question because the book isn't really interested in like the violent nature of a bear not at all it talks mostly about his essential vegetarianism and his like high levels of consumption but it's such a relationship like they have the sex den period period where she like doesn't, doesn't leave, call her friends doesn't leave her house the point of introducing him to her friends and her friends have two drastic reactions Carly who's very who's like non-monogamous and bisexual and that's how we're kind of introduced 
introduced to her like works in an art gallery she bonds with Bear she thinks it's really interesting and she starts watching football with him she also has a drinking problem that's alluded to and and so does the bear and they kind of lead each other yeah they kind of lead each other into this pretty embarrassing moment at a pretty public party that her parents are also at yeah and her friend Deborah who is hurting over an ex and seems to be very like anti-bear. Anti-bear, but also anti-relationship for her friends because of her own loneliness. Totally. Um, Deborah's scene is kind of a drip. Deborah is kind of a drip. Deborah seeks to ruin the relationship between her and Bear. She's like, this is a fucking bear at brunch. She gets nervous about drinking a Bloody Mary in front of Bear. Here's something I learned recently. Human blood is saltier than other animal bloods. And so if a predator tastes human blood, they'll oftentimes not be interested in like deer or any other creature after that. They'll be like, oh, that's a good shit. That's the potato That's the once you pop, you just can't stop. True story. That's how you get serial killer lions. Like you can see at the Field Museum right here in Chicago. The Savo Lions. The Savo Lions. Very scary. It's a very scary display. It's a very scary display, but it's also a pretty weird and scary movie with Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas. I haven't seen the movie, so I want to describe... darkness. Peak Val Kilmer. Not quite peak Michael Douglas anymore at that point, (laughs) 1997, but it's okay. Val Kilmer. Kilmer. (laughs) Talk about a blonde bear I'd like to climb. Do you want to try that again? No. (laughs) First take, only take. They both get fat. Oh, they do. They talk about that, which is actually really nice because when you fall in love, you tend to like lose this way because you're so excited. But like the moment that like that shift, that like living together shift. And by the way, you don't have to have a name on the lease to start actually sharing a life and living together. Right, exactly. And the minute it happens, bingo, bingo, you got to buy new jeans. It's so true. They're called love handles for For a reason. reason. Yes. And we don't talk about this enough. They're not called working on myself they're called love handles yeah because it's like you get really like comfortable and you do get in a place where all you need is that person like you don't need to go out with your friends eventually you will but there is a time period where leaving the house just seems silly like a waste of time yeah because you're cooking and fucking and cooking and fucking just cooking and fucking and cooking and fucking and cooking and fucking and like this book does a really beautiful job of capturing that pink cloud Mm. and also capturing when it gets problematized when your real life starts getting involved your friends your parents that kind of stuff and the working through of it and what it takes to maintain a relationship because ultimately our heroine you know bear goes to the woods to hibernate you see him hugging another bear there are bear cubs around the book does not care to elucidate if that's his bear lover and his bear children if he has a second bear family Deborah does though and she plants a real ugly seed and Nora's brain she's like you don't know where he is you don't know what he's doing which is crazy because you spend all this time being like that's a wild animal like yeah we've studied bears we know that they're literally actually asleep right now also she just like wanders into the woods at night and like finds a cave I've been told it's a very bad idea to find a hibernating bear cave it is indeed a terrible idea you should avoid all holes unless it's a really desperate situation in the wilderness because the bears will wake up and they will be very hungry yeah they'll eat you yeah and once they pop they can't stop 
your salty human blood. <laughs> Maybe that's why <laughs> vampires like us so much. Salty human blood. <laughs> One of the best lines in what we do in the shadows mm. is when they ask the vampires why they want to eat virgins. And they say, if you think about it, wouldn't you feel better about eating a sandwich if you knew no one had fucked it? <laughs> It's so funny. Let me break down why this is a good joke. Such a good joke. Such a good movie. Also, do yourself a favor. It's I haven't October. seen the series. It but one released, of my right? favorite actors, Matt Berry, is in it. Love him. Also, love Toast of London. Love IT Crowd. Yeah. Love Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which yeah. is a parody of a TV series. He's never come out and said it, nor has Richard Iowade, but I think it's a reference to a Lars von Trier television series about mm. a hospital that he produced when he he was younger like Weird. a mini series about a haunted hospital. Weird. I know. Anyways, it's so good. But why that joke works <laughs> is that the central tenant of it is this literary fetish and like cultural like obsession with virginity in women. And it points out how it is both objectifying and silly that it has been translated through this like vampire <laughs> dichotomy. It's just a very fucking good joke. It's, it's so really simple. Joke. It works on so many levels and even as like a human woman I can laugh at it mm -hmm. you know as someone who has lived under the yoke of the obsession with virginity I can still appreciate it because that joke is as much about virginity as it is like the insane idea of virginity which exactly. is why the joke is so good exactly fact, the whole movie is just a fucking tour de force watch it watch it's it watch never it watch it not funny I've never I've watched it many times and I've never not laughed out loud at some point I will tell you the first time I saw it, I was on a plane. <laughs> I left so hard in the middle seat. I was like, I'm sorry, I have to pause this movie and pee before I can even watch the other half because like I will literally pee my pants. I'm laughing so hard. Literally shaking back and forth in the middle seat. Yeah, it was. It was so good. The first time I saw it was in a theater. Didn't really know what to expect. I love vampires. As you know, I love Taika Waititi. Mm -hmm. I make a whole thing about it. Podcast in a podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad we started the Taika Waititi quarter. But I saw it in the theaters. Could not believe how fun it Just like dying, laughing. Wonderful experience. Love introducing other people to it. It's one of those movies that you think is funny. And when you show other people, I don't feel the pressure to like stare at them and be like, huh? Huh? Like, I know they're going to like it. Yeah. It's that good. It's like one of those that I like can very much recommend yeah. to anyone. It also has really touching moments. Like this so vampire reconnecting with his lost love. That but also when they like meet up with the weird werewolves they're like why are you doing this to us man like why are you being this way <laughs> yeah they connect the you discover the beast is his ex-girlfriend yeah. and then he's able to like overcome oh it's so good and it also really deals with like roommate issues like who's gonna do the dishes god it's so fucking funny oh you guys gosh. it's so good anyways anyway my boyfriend is a bear made me cry why did I make you cry the moment at which I cried was when the cat died yeah the thing that this book understands so much is is what being in a real relationship is like and what the truly meaningful things are. Mm -hmm. Like the little scrapes on his paws because he brought her back her magazines. And he had to walk all the way. He had to walk all the way and he still brought her back her magazines. The fact that he carried the cat out, he took care of that really painful job for her. It's a small thing to do. Well, it's not a small thing, but it's not a labor-intensive, elaborate gesture to bury an animal, but it allows her to forever have these positive memories. That last moment of cuddling him on the floor as opposed to like her final memory 
memory of him being dead dead and putting him to rest and you know a hole in the ground which is really hard so hard yeah this book just really understands the faith that love takes and the faith in terms of obstacles like Deborah isn't wrong when she says there is a literal bear at brunch and I'm afraid to have a Bloody Mary yeah and I'm Deborah's af- not wrong Deborah's not wrong and her other friend Carly like when the drinking problem is exposed in both Carly and the bear and you see them both together behaving badly in front of her parents it's like oh this is a friend and a boyfriend who both have a problem and they bring out the worst in each other yeah and like that's something that is hard to see and this graph novel didn't turn away from yeah like Deborah's a drip but she's not wrong yeah I think this graphic novel more than like a lot of the other stuff we have read understands what real romance is like what's really romantic and it's crazy to me and I think the only reason it works is because there's this insane conceit that it's a bear Mm -hmm. but because of that insane conceit is able to tell like this really grounded realistic love story and one that kind of doesn't feel the need to double down on things like the bear's drinking problem the stakes are never risen above a like appreciable sensible level something that you can overcome besides the fact that it's a bear right like when he goes to hibernate it's still rooted in the reality of its bareness yeah I just really appreciated it me too I thought this was a really clever way to talk about relationships and like the way that relationships go through seasons mm-hmm. and like you have the season of the sex then and then you have the season of like introducing bear and then you have the season of like you know gaining weight and then you have the season of doubt mm-hmm. and then you have like the season of like reconnection but not just the season of doubt but like the season of separation right and whether or not that separation is physical as it is here but it's also like emotional like mm-hmm. she can't contact bear yeah bear won't contact her yeah this book felt at once beautifully literal because you had the actual images of bear like Mm -hmm. wearing glasses because he's farsighted and bear like building her shelves but you also had like this idea that like bear has very anthropomorphized problems but also like the problem of like communication and the problem of connection and the Uh problem of like seeing something in bear that like deborah her friend doesn't see or that her mother is like boy i'm concerned Mm-hmm. And like whether or not that's his drinking problem or his overconsumption or the fact that like he's like weird about his job. The Shit. bear gets a job. No further explanation. No further we see a scene of the bear in a necktie presenting a line graph. It's great. It's like he's and amazing. Like, he's good at his job because one of Deborah's beefs was like, what does this guy do? Just sit around your apartment. <laughs> and then bear gets a job. And then bear gets a job. Typical male privilege. Yeah, exactly. Bear is presenting a line graph. We are also led to understand he only can communicates and growls that Mm -hmm. take a while to understand. We're given a bear reference dictionary, if you will. But there's just so much truth in that, in the you understanding your partner in a way that no one else does because you're around them all the time, but also because you show your, if I can be like totally corny, like you show your lover things that you don't show anyone else. I'm a firm believer that all relationships are relationships and you share different parts of yourself and different faces of yourself within all of those spaces. And your lover I feel silly saying it still sees like a very specific face that allows them to understand you in a very specific way that is beautifully illustrated literally within my boy
boyfriend is a bear. Totally. And during the period of hibernation, we have this continued watercolor timeline, very small at the bottom of the pages as we watch Nora working through her daily life of what hibernation is like with bear. And it does depict him like getting up and like pissing and shitting and like rolling over. And But it's like not romantic. He's like farting. And what Nora is doing during the hibernation, which is fascinating, is like we meet Nora in this very small space. Bear and the experience of bear begins to open her up. But like during the hibernation, she gets this like unadulterated time to like look at herself mm-hmm. she goes back to her art she goes back to her thing she quits her shitty job you know she starts an Etsy page yeah you know selling like, bear clothes selling bear clothes and like in that sense it's like this story felt so insanely hopeful yeah she never stops believing that bear will come back to her when he's done hibernating right and he does and he does and she jumps right into his bear claws Mm -hmm. and it's sweet and it's like it's such a lovely HEA that's entirely believable but like more importantly Nora is positioning herself to succeed whether or not he does come back with the full faith that he will Uh uh-huh yes sexiest part Quick disclaimer, bestiality is wrong. Sure. Real bears, real animals. Can't give consent. Bless can't you. give consent because their social functionality is different than ours and we are incapable of understanding their social functionality. So animals can't give consent to humans. No. Humans can't give consent to animals either. What's your sexiest part? Because I understand the central conceit of this story which I have elucidated earlier which is that this is really about loving like a man without modernity my sexiest part is when he builds the shelves for the cat to climb and I feel like in this book because we both acknowledge that sex with a bear is not consensual in the real sense suspending disbelief you know like my most butterfly moment is when he builds the tree for the cat and when she shows it to her dad and her dad is impressed and kind of gives you that you as the reader a validation for liking bear i love that part i also really really love the part where she knows what's happening you know that bear will have to leave they get that first like snow flurry oh and so instead of giving voice or naming what her emotion is which is fear and sadness Mm -hmm. she has this like rage attack and she yells at bears like i can't stand you breaking things why don't you just fucking leave me already and Bear looks at her and is like, huh? And then just like opens his arms and she like leaps into them and starts crying. And like, it's like that moment of like truly being seen. All of my emotions are happening to me at all at once. And like, I can only really grab the first one, which is a defensive one, which is like, go, leave Mm -hmm. me alone. Like make the hurt happen now. Yeah. And the fact that like Bear slash boyfriend slash whatever is like, I see through all those layers. He's both. Right. I see through all those layers and like, I give you the thing that you need without you asking because the thing that you asked me to do is the last thing that you actually want. Yeah. And like that fantasy of like being understood Mm -hmm. in that way was so beautifully rendered in this book. Yeah. Weirdest part. I don't know that it's like shied away from bear sex. Yeah, I get that. I think my weirdest part feeds into that. It's the fact that this book kind of acknowledges special difference and that Bear has led a different life prior to meeting her and is like, right, this Bear has just done his Bear thing and this Bear at the end of the day is a Bear. There's something crunchy about that. You know, there's something abrasive about that that's just not resolved. Like there's something deeper about... I'm very interested and I know you are too because you're a big fan of whales. 
If you know this podcast, you know I love whales, though. So let's talk about whales as an example. Sure. What part of their brain is super developed? It's the communication part of their brain, the amygdala. The amygdala. Mm -hmm. And they have way more complex social structures, understandings of family, understandings of sex. Understandings of feeling. And reproduction and how to talk about it. They are so advanced in that way that we cannot understand it beyond being like, this is something that is too big for us. Right. Literally, their amygdala is too complex for our amygdala to grasp. Yes. Right? Yes. But every animal, even animals that have less of a developed amygdala, because of that, because their brains work differently, because they're more quote unquote primitive or whatever, we make assumptions that we project onto them all all the time. time, Right. And I know that my dog loves me and I know that my cat has complicated feelings about me. I would also use the L term. My cat loves me. Yes. Your cat loves loves me. My cat languishes with me. (laughs) My cat. Your cat has such complicated feelings about you that are like will actually like act on it yeah that's not primitive (laughs) right exactly we project a lot yes so we say things like that bear was raping leonardo dicaprio right because we don't know what else to do with that we don't know what else to do with that that's our limited capacity of understanding some animals can commit rape like i'm pretty sure pigs have consent but dolphins also have that super developed amygdala so like maybe we just don't understand what's happening with the dolphins like we say rape but maybe something different is happening potentially for the dolphins yeah potentially it's just special imperialism human imperialism for sure and this book trades on that by having this bear be a very special bear but then it also has stuff like an Etsy shop for bear clothes which implies that other people need to dress bears in human clothes sure does it also has a thing where like the bear returns to his family it has no explanation of its family suddenly the bear isn't it right the bear looks like every other bear in the den the bear is shitting and pissing the bear is hibernating like the bear is beholden to its natural instincts this is where the literal versus the allegorical kind of like fails for me and like it's too bad because like literal bear is really interesting to like look at but allegorical bear is like equally delved into until we get to these borders where Bear is in, as you said, the watercolor gutter and Bear is a very literal bear that we can't understand in any other way. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what does it mean if like Bear is like a lobbyist who returned to his like Republican home and like Nora is this incredibly liberal human being living in LA? Like, what is that? You know, like there are other ways to understand Bear's leave taking that is like he has a clan, he has a whatever that isn't, Nora he must return to for a period of time and then we'll return to Nora and it's like well what would that be in the real world I don't think Republican versus Democrat Democrat, is Democrat right because it's not in opposition right it is just in tandem like parallel to like right. separate from but still running on the same rails kind of and that's sort of where the rubber meets the road there where it's yeah. like Bear is like allegory for a boyfriend that's like hard for your friends to understand hard for your parents to understand but there's that like ephemeral thing that like you see like as you so beautifully described like the face that you only show to your lover but also it's like bear is clumsy and bear breaks things and like you know bear isn't perfect as no. no relationship is but he is way better than like her hall of exes but he's like imperfect in these human ways mm-hmm. and then he's also a bear right the graphic novel does not 
pass judgment on his hibernation. The graphic novel isn't like his natural instincts are bad. Graphic novel is like, this is the way nature is, which is the opposite of human imperialistic views on animals. Totally. But there's that other stuff you talk about. Like, how can Bear function in this very human way? I want to know more about holding those two truths of special identity and human identity. How does this character hold those two things? I mean, this is obviously where suspension of disbelief (laughs) is important for romance. This isn't like a really vivid way because it's otherwise a super realistic depiction of a romance. Bear's dual identity is never problematized, but it's centered and the central problem of the book in a way that I kind of want to dive into that more. I feel like it's not interrogated enough. Why is this bear like this when other bears are not? What's going on with this bear in his bear life? That he knows what Bust Magazine is yeah. and would bring it back to you after <laughs> witnessing a bad interaction you had with your boyfriend. And like bear can't communicate that and that feels really real. You know, like yeah. bear can't communicate his feelings and motivations. Right. He's like, I did this thing and you're like, that's so nice why did you do that and he's like i don't know just give me a fucking compliment bear <laughs> yeah though like bears <laughs> seeming simplicity uh-huh. and like the lumberjack whaler other human from the liminal space of non-modernity i would not fall in love with a whaler because a whaler kills whales a whaler kills whales i tell you what hmm. i've been listening to moby dick holy fucking shit I had to like pull off the road when they killed their second whale. I just was crying so hard. But like, that's the other thing about that book though, where it's like, this is actual murder and the butchering of a body as murder versus like the butchering of an animal, which lots of people can say is murder. I totally get that. I hear it. Meat is murder. Cool. But like the idea that like you run an animal to ground and then watch it die and then chop it up. Whoa. Not to be like too heavy, but how is that different? from what they do to cows and pigs. It's not. And because of Moby Dick, John and I are on the fast track to becoming vegetarian. Is this your first time consuming Moby Dick? I have tried to read Moby Dick, honestly, five times. And like, I get to this point in the book every time and I just like turn it off. It's too thick. It's boring. You get to this stretch where all Melville talks about is like other academics. And it's just like, I can't. And then listening to it where somebody helped me understand the jokes just in the way that like if you're not used to Shakespeare a lot of those jokes can just like jump over your head and he was making these jokes that were so goddamn funny about the French and the Norwegian and like all of this other stuff that I totally missed on like my first several trips through this book that like I knew that once I got to the part where they started killing whales that I would be incredibly moved but I could never get to that part because he spent so much fucking time talking about the actual boat and the eight months it takes them from Nantucket to Round Cape porn Uh and so like we finally read it and it was like I actually didn't want it to be as good as it is because I was like it's overblown everybody says it's the American novel but like it's it like no Moby Dick is it it's so good Moby Dick is it it is it it has literally everything Queequeg and Ishmael love each other in a way that is so indescribably beautiful and like when they first get married and that is how Melville describes it (laughs) their relationship 
as a marriage. And it's intimate and it's supportive and it's kind. And it's funny. Moby Dick is funny. Yeah. It's so good. Moby Dick is very fucking good. Moby Dick is one of those. I mean, I have this experience every time I read a book where I'm like, it's just so wonderful. Like, what could I give that would be like a third of this? Like, what could I say? What could I create that would be anywhere near this? You know, it's just so good. It's so good. Everybody Listen, should read Moby Dick. Listen, take it from a romance podcast. <laughs> read Moby Dick. Read Moby Dick. And also, if you feel like you can't read it, listen to it. That is also reading. Who reads it? I'm sure there are lots of audiobook versions of there Moby Dick. Which lots. one did you get? For the official endorsement. The one that we are currently listening to. Narrated by William Hootkins. Oh. It's not for the faint of heart. It's 27 hours, so. Well, it's Moby Dick. Yeah. Unabridged. Moby Dick, the author really allows himself to, and this does relate to romance, the author really allows himself to indulge and explore and go places without the constraints of like an this editor, is an editor or like just a structure. Like I loved reading Moby Dick from the first time I opened it. And I loved reading Joanna Lindsay and Kathleen Woodowist from the first time I opened it because they really give themselves time to indulge. And it's an easy way to get lost with them if you're open to it and I think that's it and I think that's one of the things where it's like I wish more modern romances but potentially even more modern books allowed themselves that freedom or yeah. that editors would allow that, themselves that freedom it's like the same thing that we're talking about with my boyfriend is a bear there's a messiness here that wasn't explored there's a messiness that wasn't explored and is conspicuous but had I not sat down and talked about it with you I don't think I would have really uncovered that I think I would have been like pleasurable experience start to finish romance and it still hits all of the beats of a romance sure does it still follows that structure it still has that HEA that I struggle with but the fact that it's a bear is just enough of a turn that I hope it opens up other things I don't think it will because I don't think a lot of people have read this in the industry as I don't it think were. so either I found this at an independent comic bookstore while I was waiting for my reservation for Taco Tuesday yeah I've seen it at Gmart Comics my neighborhood comic book and gaming emporium. It's from Ani Press. And if you haven't allowed yourself to get into graphic novels, I encourage you to do so. The illustrations are really creative. There's this great part where she's getting drunk with her friends. And as they get more and more drunk, their faces become more and more abstract, which, which I thought was so, so good. good. This book uses a lot of like also more traditional devices like the maze and making the character like a smaller, cuter version of themselves to fit in the frame. That's really interesting how they deploy that I mean the illustration is very thoughtful right. and clever and creative in a way that is super pleasurable to look at and even like the color scheme itself like when she moves into like the rose colored sex period like we're in lots of pastels and yeah. then when we move into like sad periods we move into more yeah. like jewel tone like this is just a really smartly illustrated smart romance talking about this at the bar with Nick the other day like what's so great about graphic novels I think the revisit of Ability. And also the fact that even though the dialogue takes like three seconds to read on the page, you can spend a really long time on the page, longer than you could in a classic text novel, just looking. And looking is such a pleasure when you kind of just let yourself do it without thinking. Like not everything has to be assigned a meaning. Sometimes you can just notice things and that's such a little buzz. Not only that, but it's like, I think you're so right where it's like this revisitability. And this is something that like I potentially want to talk about in like a boner on us 
this where it's like we rewatch movies in a very particular way. I think we revisit graphic novels in a particular way. Romance readers revisit particular romances in a particular way mm-hmm. that like you don't revisit capital L fiction. Like I've never met a person. Capital L fiction. Yeah. Capital literature. L. <laughs> literature. <laughs> in the same way that like I don't know that I know anyone personally who has like voluntarily reread a Jonathan Franzen. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love how you specify voluntarily. It's like if you had to read it for a class or like to impress someone cool, whatever, but like you're not doing it for the pleasure of revisit. Well, like a revisitable capital L literature is something extremely special. Yeah. Other than Jane Austen and Jane Eyre. I don't know. Moby Dick's going to be a problem for you. I can tell you're going to come back to it. Yeah. What's cool about Moby Dick, though, is that there's so many pieces. Like sometimes you just get like a little taste, a little hankering for like a little slice of it, you know, and you can revisit it. I do love it so much. And sometimes you're like, I want to read the whole thing again. And then you're like, whoa, this is a huge time commitment. Why did I do this? I'll just go back to the part about the sea creatures at the bottom of the ocean. I love that entire part (laughs) where it's like they're alive and he has this massive thing where he hates on religion for like five chapters and he like takes down every major religion that there is but he's also like I don't hate people who are religious I just hate hypocrisy and I'm like boy you took five chapters which is basically five hours to tell me that but it super speaks to like having time also like our narrator has so much time yeah just to think things that we all think yeah and then puts that into paper but you get this sense of like we all think these things in this in-depth way but like you really get the sense of like spending time like Mm -hmm. having collected time and Mm -hmm. kind of just anyways it's real good time people don't think about like time I think about time I mean people think about time because we're all aging all the time when we were in feminist sci-fi and maybe it was you somebody said something brilliant about like this book thinks about waiting as a form of time travel and I was like holy shit Whoa. Yeah. I hope I said something that smart. I don't know if that was me. Might have been Kim. Might have been Kim. Might have been Devin. Oh, I think it was Devin. Waiting as a form of time travel. I can tell you who it wasn't. What are we talking about? Is this a womance or a no-mance? Womance. I want everyone to read this, but here's the thing. I want you to read this in conjunction with Marion Engel's bear. This is a twofer as far as I'm concerned. No. I would say, you know, you don't have to because... You'll be better if you do, though. You'll be better if you do. But Marion Engel's bear is a big ask for some people. It's a trip. It's kind of like the Pisces in that if you're in a bad place and you read bear, I'm a little worried. Like, it's too real. Fair. Fair, it's fair, too fair. real. And that's, I think, the thing people miss about it because they hear the concept. And how that concept really fucks you up is that you're like, oh shit, it me. And then you're like, I am the woman giving a hand job to a crusty old bear. Who's been chained to a shed. Yeah, bear, I think, is like a little too real. This is very real in a nice sense. <laughs> as far as the bear romance we've read, these and two. My Boyfriend is a Bear is a wonderful piece. And honestly, like, I would like to see more romance like this. We did the preview of like an ongoing series. This is kind of a self-contained graphic novel, which is honestly easier for me to read just because I I don't have that habituated going to the comic book store lifestyle. And I wait for the completes to come out. Me too. I know, guys. Binge. We live in a binge society. We live in a binge society, man. It's like weekly release. I'm like, I don't know how you live. Favorite graphic novel you've read? Ever? Just now. Just how you feel right now. Saga. Saga? 
Yeah. Mm, that's a good one. It is a really good one. Ever is ElfQuest. Ever is ElfQuest. The oh, one yeah. that comes to your heart in this moment is Saga, but Ever is ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I would die on that hill. Oh. Like, literally. But Saga, I think, is like an incredible story that I wish more people would read. Mm. And Total. you. Guys, my favorite thing is Monsters. Ooh. It's a pretty a new good- release. Blankets by Craig Thompson and Black Hole held deep places in my heart. But to be honest, my favorite thing is Monsters. Beautiful. Check it out. Wow. Wow. Have you read it? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I was going to loan you mine. Favorite graphic novel television series adaptation. Great question. Yeah. I don't even know. There's so many that people like don't even realize. Walking Dead is an adaptation of a yeah. graphic novel. Preacher. I loved Preacher by Craig. One of my favorite things about Preacher by Garth Ennis is that you really see someone grow as a writer Mm -hmm. through that series. And the television series has the triplicate charisma bombs of Ruth Nega, Joe Gilgan, and the other one. They're doing the Sandman series. So crazy. It'll be good, I hope. What do you think they're going to like choose as their framing, though? Because that's like a universe. That's like a cinematic universe at this point. Who's playing Sandman? Who's playing Death? I don't know. James McAvoy is helming as producer and star, so he'll have to be Sandman or Death. Well, he'll be Sandman because Death's a girl, famously. Boy, I don't know. We'll see. We haven't seen Joker, which is an adaptation of uh, The Killing Joke, I think. Which I don't understand because The Killing Joke is actually like a graphic novella. Yeah, but I mean, like, to be honest, honest like if you're not doing a full-fledged television series you're not gonna do like a primo adaptation it's true i agree my brother asked me a question the other day i think this is relevant are movies even good anymore or is it like why would you watch a movie when you can watch like a 12-hour movie that is a television show i think my answer to that would be the last season of game of thrones and the fact that i have seen better films this year oh that's a really good point actually but the question is are movies better than the worst season of a really good tv show yes yes is any movie better than the best seasons of Game of Thrones? No. No. That sucks. I mean, they're different elements, though. It's like I don't expect the same thing. Anyway, got really off track there. Yeah, whatever. We're done. Loosen your stay. Never your principles. Mwah. Mwah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week.